Welcome to Before the Bestseller, where we talk with our favorite authors, entrepreneurs, and oftentimes authorpreneurs about the exact steps and processes they used to build their brand, sell their books, and grow their businesses. I'm excited to have you on board for this episode. My name is Alex Rathi, fellow author and founder of advancedamazonads.com and podpr.co. I hope that you're able to take away at least one new bit of knowledge or tactic from this episode that you can use to make a world of difference in your own journey. If you do find one, let me know what it was in a review and anything that we can do to make the show a more enjoyable listening experience. For access to our free Amazon advertising course, visit us at advancedamazonads.com slash before the bestseller. Uh, this is our first chat with our first best-selling author, but just before we get started, I want to make a quick note about the first 10 to 15 episodes. Now, I'm currently learning and doing all of the audio production myself, so I've done my best to bring you an excellent auditory experience, but that being said, there might still be some hiccups throughout the first 10 episodes, as some might be a little bit quieter and some might be a little bit louder as I work to come up with my ideal audio configuration. I just wanted to thank you in advance for your patience when it comes to audio, as I know how important it is. I'm proud of the first 10 episodes and how they turned out, and I'm insanely grateful that you'd take the time to listen. The content has turned out to be incredibly actionable, and we're able to get some way bigger names than I had initially anticipated. So it's my highest hope that it really makes a difference for you and your author journey. And you can be sure that with your feedback that I will be listening. I'm going to make sure that every episode is better than last, and like I said, a lot of this will be based on any and all feedback you can provide me in the reviews of the show. All right, enough housekeeping there. Let's bring on our first best-selling author, Mike Michalowicz. Today, we've got one of the most humble entrepreneur authors I know. Mike speaks with such clarity on everything he does. After selling $2 million tech companies early on, he spent all his money and ended up broke. From there, he's built incredibly strong values that have built him back into the Mike McCallowitz we all know today. Mike started off his author career as the toilet paper entrepreneur, which, after buying 20,000 copies of his book personally and selling none of them, realized he needed to find another way. He finally started selling copies when moms of the students he was speaking in front of started to take to the book. And the rest is history. He's gone on to write seven best-selling books. You might have heard of Profit First, which has over 5,000 reviews on Amazon, and he just released Get Different to about two weeks ago, which has already sold thousands of copies, so we'll also be talking about that. There are so many takeaways in this show, from finding your core niche to things to avoid spending your time on, and at the end, Mike actually gives us his top five 80-20, that's the 20% of actions that give him 80% of the results for book launching tactics. So let's dive into the chat with Mike. Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, talk about your prolific career as a writer and entrepreneur, and to really teach a lot of the listeners and authors out there ways that they can better market their own books. One word, or two words to you, go Hokies. Go Hokies. And speaking of Hokies doing really good things, you just released your book, I believe it was yesterday, uh, yeah. September 21st. I saw the video on LinkedIn of the dance routine. How long, did it, <laughs> how long did it take you to get the whole team? I was curious, was there someone in front of them showing like the choreography of what yeah, to do? Yeah, well, no, one, one of the, actually the president of our company, Kelsey, made the choreography. She planned it all out. We rehearsed it uh, for about an hour before, and then we filmed for about four hours. We had to do it over and over and over again. It was one camera, like getting all the different elements. 
by the end we were exhausted, but it was so ridiculous. I'm like, I'm yelling at the camera guy. I'm like, you gotta zoom in on my bald spot. Zoom in on my bald spot. He's like, what? Like, do it. Not many people would, would do that, but I know that's like a big part of uh, what you push. That's your, maybe that's one of your uh, painted babies, which we'll get to towards the end of this. Yeah. But yeah, that's awesome that, you know, you are so vulnerable with the things that, you know, make you different and you kind of use those. But let's go back even a step yeah. further before that. Start us with a childhood story that makes you who you are today. Well, a childhood story uh, makes me who I am today is probably, well, I've never been an entrepreneur. I never aspired to until after college. I did have one entrepreneurial experience. And what I did back in the day was I sold, I rented cassette tapes. So my favorite band was Queen. Queen came out with a new album called uh, News, News of the World or something. And I bought the cassette, which was like 10 bucks. Like that, I, it was hard to get that much money. But then I'd rent it to people for a dollar a day. And they would, I get back, like after two days and I get two bucks and they copied the tape or whatever. And I was doing this, I'm like, wow, there's this huge money. My whole system fell apart when one guy took it and he's like, uh, he had it for three days. He's like, I lost it. I'm like, well, you still owe me money. He's like, I lost it. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any enforcement mechanism or any collections mechanism. So that kind of crumbled the system, but it did inspire me. Oh, you can get something and, and use it over and over again, like a book, do it one time and it can live on forever. Pay dividends for forever. Yeah, pay dividends. Um, that's, yeah, that's a great early lesson uh, into, you know, the, the psyche behind who Mike is today. What about two years before the first book? I know, I believe it's seven books now. Uh, is it seven, seven books, seven books. That's correct. Entrepreneur. Toilet Paper Entrepreneurs. That was the first one. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. I was, that was a self-published book that you know, I'd learned some lessons about entrepreneurship and I wanted to come out and, and re release it to the, the wild, so to speak. I couldn't get a publisher. I was trying to get like a mainstream publisher. Like you're, you're nobody. You're not known. Like no way are we taking you on. And inspired me to see that through as a self-published author. And uh, I had enough success that I got then a mainstream deal and been with that ever since. You had a platform and all of a sudden now, yeah, it was, I'm sure, pretty easy to shop around. And I know you've even continued now to, I think, I think is it Penguin is your, Penguin. your publisher? And we can talk about, you know, I want to definitely want to ask some questions towards the end about how you, even with the most recent book, still decided uh, to go with a traditional publisher. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was a hard for that one. conversation, yeah. You know, what was the reasoning behind why you wrote the first book? So, you know, I went into the entrepreneurship blindly. I, you and I are from the same business fraternity. It prepares you for the corporate world, but it doesn't necessarily prepare you for going solo. At least I wasn't prepared. And I didn't want to anyway. I wanted to get the a job with back then was the big six, one of these accounting firms and, you know, work hard and make lots of money there. And uh, I couldn't, couldn't get a job. I, I didn't get an offer. I was like, what, what do I do now? And I came home, I got a local job at a computer store. And one night was inspired to uh, start my own business after too many beers and I started my own business. What I discovered in that journey is uh, a lot of heartache, a lot of struggle, a lot of sh shortcuts and discoveries. I decided to um, start writing about what I learned about entrepreneurship because it wasn't my thought. I thought you needed an education on entrepreneurship to be successful. It was actually the lack of education that brought around inspiration. You'd, you'd break the the industry norm, you would be a rule breaker that if you, uh, that you need money to make money, which actually the lack of money brings about innovation. So I started learning or unlearning what I thought about entrepreneurship and started documenting it. And that became my first book. When it came to the publisher, you know, I went around shopping this. I'm like, I got this great book. It's going to crush it. And these publishers said, 
who are you? You have no platform. Platform is exposure to other people, uh, a built-in buyer base. Uh, so you're unknown, you have no platform, um, and you've never done this before. Why would we ever want to have a book from you? I'm like, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, and so I, I set out to self-publish my book and in the process had to build a platform, had to build a recognition industry. And it was a slog. It was no easy path. It was a hard one, but by sticking with it, it started to yield um, a readership base. And then a publisher, Penguin, came back to me and said, we want your next book. And, and I've been with them ever since. What was the year when going through that slog first started? And what was the year you came out of it real quick? Um, I wrote Toy Payment Entrepreneur, I want to say 2008-ish. So it was around 2008. 2008, there was the great, great housing great collapse. economic time. Yeah. Oh, it was miserable. So I, I was struggling in my business. I'm trying to write a book. I, lost, I was losing money as I was writing this book. It was a really tough time. I also made a grand mistake in that um, someone's like, oh, you're going you're gonna to sell all these books, right? I'm like, yeah. And like, how many are you going to sell? I'm like, I don't know, 10, 20,000 in a couple of weeks. And they're like, okay, you better have those books ready. I'm like, of course. So I bought 20,000 of my own books. Do you know the, the average nonfiction author sells 250 books in their lifetime? And those 250 books usually are purchased by themselves for themselves. They just give them out as, as candy. And uh, <clears throat> I now bought 20,000 books, which I couldn't afford. I, I begged, borrowed, and stealed stole to get there. And then I launched the book on the first day and I, I literally had zero sales on the first day. No one bought a book. I, I had no idea what I was doing. And now I'm sitting on 20,000 books at my house. That's where I was storing them and no sales. And uh, after a real kind of emotional struggle, I said, either I got to double down on this or I'm done. I got to start totally over and I don't even know how. So I'm going to double down. And I did. And it was uh, not door to door sales, but that's what it felt like. I started going colleges, all over the place just to get the books out there. That raw effort, that relentlessness started to yield some traction, made some discoveries. And that's when I started getting some momentum. I've heard, I mean, and that's, that's why I was so excited to speak with you is because every, a lot of the authors out there don't have money just to throw at something, right? No, People who no. really have a message. And it is these, you know, like, how do you genuinely start a grass, grassroots movement? And so Mike Michalowicz, how do you start a grassroots movement with your books? I know you had some creative, really creative strategies, and I yeah. can't wait to open that up here. So, so I'll give you a couple of hacks. So um, the first thing to do, this is when you're writing your book, is really know who you're writing it for and put everything you can into your book to be of service to that reader, everything you know. Well, I knew that my readers would be recent college students that are starting their own business. I knew a lot of folks from Delta Sig and I was like, some of us are leaving and starting our own business. That's what I did. So I wrote it for the former version of me. So I said, I'm going to start going to colleges to start promoting this. Well, it started to work and, and here's the hack to do it. Every university has a directory of clubs and uh, there's an entrepreneurial club at Virginia Tech. There's, there's up where I am in Rutgers and these community colleges around here. Um, they have these great clubs. The interesting thing is they're student run so most of these clubs, um, you know, students have to do their studies and so forth. They don't have a lot of time to research out speakers. So if it's easily handed to them, they're likely to consider you. So I started emailing people saying, hey, I happen to be in the area, on, you know, in the next month or two, I'd love to speak at your event. By the way, usually I wasn't in the area. That was just my line. I happen to be in the area. I'd love to speak at your event, uh, at your next club meeting. 
And these clubs inevitably, like half of them would, would pick me up and say, yeah, come on in. And my goal was to go there and sell my books. Cause now they see me speak and I can talk about the topic and maybe some of the students will want to read these books. Well, that ended up being super hard. So I, you know, I'd have 20 students or maybe a hundred in a room and, and these entrepreneurs, inspiring entrepreneurs and saying, this is the book to do it. And they'd walk out and maybe like five people buy a book. I'm like, Oh my God, like why isn't everyone buying a book? Well, you know, when you're living on a college budget, it's hard to secondly, you know, beer and pizza <laughs> is a lot more appealing than reading a book when you already heard the guy speak about the book. Right. But what happened, and this was the next lesson, was I started getting calls, a couple from moms. And I, this one blew me away. And I, they said, hey, I read your book and uh, I loved it. And I'm like, you, how did you find my book? And I'm like, well, my son or my daughter is in an entrepreneurial club and they brought the book home and they forgot it here and they left it here. I thought the title was so intriguing, I had to read it. And this was, this was the smartest thing I did. I asked them, I said, why do you read it? And he said, because this book was written for me. Now, I didn't write it for them. It, uh, I didn't intend to write it for them, but I did. I wrote it for moms. They said, this is the first time I've read a business book where a male author is not pandering to a female audience. It's just, you're just saying it the way it is. Like, you're speaking to me like I'm another human. And I, I connect with this. There's lessons in here I can use. And that was a big revelation. Oh, my God. The community I thought I wrote the book for was not the book the community I wrote it for, they raised their hands. It was, it was moms of college students. So I started to ask some of these people that reached out. I said, Hey, do you have an event? And they're like, yeah, come to the mom's entrepreneurial club. And I did. Now it wasn't like, you know, 50 people showing up and five books being sold. It was 50 people showing up and 75 books being sold. Moms were buying books, not just for themselves. They're buying another copy to give to a friend. It blew my mind. And I started getting momentum. The lesson I learned is make your best guess who your community is but acknowledge you may be wrong. I was wrong. They revealed themselves. And when they do lean into that, serve the community because you may be wrong on who you thought you were targeting. Wow. I, and I love it because a lot of people would see that as, okay, well, I got the wrong audience. So clearly I, I just, I failed here. I, I shouldn't go find the right audience. Did you yeah, actually keep that? pushing harder? And I struggle with that too. Like, I, you know, I went, I remember I spoke at, you know, Boston College, Boston University, Emerson. I was working my way down, Princeton, Harvard. All these different things. I'm like, maybe it's the Ivy League schools. Maybe it's the community college. I spoke at community college with Mars here. I'm like, who's going to, it wasn't working. So I said to myself, I got to double down, push harder. And it wasn't moving more books. You know, we can have a subjective opinion um, or objective opinion, I should say. But the subjective, the data speaks the truth. And these weren't moving. I spoke at one mom event and it was like, uh, I saw that book. I couldn't believe it. I did the next one, same thing, and it became recurring. I started speaking at bigger events, and I was moving bigger volumes. You know, I had to get over my fat ego of saying, this is what I want, and this is what I know to be right. I was wrong. But when I admitted I was wrong of who I wrote it for and was able to willingly leaning into the community that wanted it, um, things took off. And here's the other interesting thing. Ultimately, now the college students read it. My, my books are taught, I think, at 20 or 30 universities now. Um, early stage entrepreneurs are reading it. It's exposed to a large community of entrepreneurs because the moms. I started speaking there so often, I got so comfortable with that community, they carried me on their shoulders figuratively to other groups. I found in any business, authorship being uh, just like any other business, is you must be the authority in a niche. Serve that niche better than anyone else in the world and the niche will expose you to larger communities, larger groups. Don't try to serve everyone 
serve one community extremely well and let them carry you to bigger communities. Wow. Yeah. That allow that niche, go after niche. And then like in terms of scaling that, allow that niche to then propel you outwards. Right. So how did you do that? So how did you then, you know, the moms took over it. Clearly it's not just moms who have read it, who are even, you know, followers of yours. I've got profit first right here, which is recommended nice. to me like by 10 people before I even knew who you were. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah, that's, that's the best kind of uh, marketing. So then how do you then, I guess, facilitate, you know, you, you, when do you know that you have this group of people that's really going to stand behind you? How do you then leverage that to go out after a bigger audience? So the first thing I did was I doubled down on the audience. So like the marketing pieces, like my website, for example, um, I designed it to say, you know, entrepreneur, I can serve you. I, I changed it to say, uh, mom entrepreneur, launching your first business, I can serve you. I started to speak more specifically to the interest of that community. So to go big, you actually need to narrow down. Um, I learned how to present this community. And I also started introducing other uh, products beyond just the book. I'd say, hey, I, I do coaching for mom entrepreneurs and so forth. But I also leveraged the fact that I was different. And, and there's an opportunity here. I, I believe there's power in what I call the minority of one. When I'd walk in these conferences, I was literally the only guy. So everyone like, takes a double take and are like, First of all, right, who's, the creep? Here. Yeah, who's <laughs> yeah. the creep here, yeah. right? So it's a little bit weird at first. And I'm like, speaker guy, speaker guy. And you're like, oh, when you're the only one of a type of person, they embrace you. In the few occasions where there was two or three other male speakers, now we were the weirdos and we were kind of put in the corner and we sit together and we were excluded. So minorities get excluded, except a minority one gets embraced because everyone wants wow. to show that they're a supporter of that minority one. So I'd start asking at these events, I'm like, hey, um, I know it's atypical to have a male speaker. Is there any other male speakers? Like, no, no, you're, you're the only guy. I'm like, perfect, great. Or if they'd say, uh, if there's other male speakers, I'd say, oh, great. Uh, is there any chance I could be the opening speaker just because it will work with my schedule? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll make the adjustment. But I still wanted to be the minority one. First to show, only guy speaker that people are experiencing, and then let the other male speakers go later on. So I positioned yeah. myself that way. As I started speaking to these communities, um, some of these women say, oh, I'm in a industrial uh, club. So I'm in the, I don't know, paint club. Like we, we're, we're, we we're paint manufacturers for homes and stuff. And we have this association. Um, I love what you present to our group. Would you be interested in connecting with this group? And that's when I started breaking into associations, these different verticals, uh, these mom entrepreneurs were taking me in and that started exposing me to much, a much more varied community of entrepreneurs. That's uh, yeah. I mean, that's, a lot of people don't realize, you know, they just think, oh, I can just run Amazon ads or, oh, I can just run Facebook ads and that's going to create, you know, yeah. my book, my book's success. And that's just never the case. Never. Like that, that's never going to be the thing that like blows your book up. You've done really good with getting reviews. Is that like when you were speaking at these events, you know, I don't know if Amazon was necessarily a big place people went to buy books back then, back then but you know, you're very good at getting reviews. Profit First has over 5,000 reviews. I believe Toilet Paper Entrepreneur has over a thousand. Like yeah. how do you get your first 100 reviews? How do you get your first 1,000 reviews? How do you get your first 5,000? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, it is part of that in specialization. So when you focus on a niche, like you said, you heard about profit first 10 times and you yeah. decide to get it. Like when you're focused on a narrow community, the word about you starts revolving around very quickly in a small group. So to them, the perception is, Oh, I'm hearing about you all the time. Well, it's five people that only know who you exist, but those five people talk to each other and you're front of mind. So they see you a lot. That yeah. also puts you in a position to ask the key when it comes to reviews uh, the first hundred views, like for, I think when it comes to books, the first 100 reviews, 
that's probably the author's friends. Like you can reach out to that group of people that know you and say, Hey, would you do me a favor and do a review? Maybe you can get a hundred, but to get beyond that, there has to be uh, a reason that people want to give you a review. Uh, the reason prop first has so many reviews is when people read the book um, and, and I'm in contact with them, I ask them, would you be willing to do an honest review? So I do the ask, <clears throat> but I also, and this is the critical part, say why I'm asking. I tell them when you do a review, it is the greatest reason, or it's the, it's the greatest form of marketing for the book. It's the best way other entrepreneurs can discover the book. So if you do an honest review, they'll see from your perspective what you're talking about, they may choose to buy the book or not because of you. And that helps me. I think a lot of authors simply say, hey, would you do a review? It's like, yeah, of course, and I'll get to it whenever. When they understand the reason you need that, that justification, now there's a, a reason to do it with urgency. And people do. And so I've, I've always asked, hey, people email me regularly. I actually I get emails probably every 10 or 15 minutes now. I'm, I'm in such a blessed position from a reader who said I read one of your books. And I'll say, oh, I'm so happy. Did it serve you? How did you like it? And they're like, oh, it's fantastic or, or whatever. Or, or I'm confused about something. I'll then ask, hey, uh, would you be willing to post that comment or share in the review? The other thing about reviews is it's not about getting five-star reviews. Like a million five-star reviews is not the goal. The goal is simply reviews. You know, when, when someone goes to your Amazon page, you're not looking, oh, Mike, you got 5,000 reviews. Are they all five stars? How many one stars do you have? We simply skim it. In fact, you actually may go to one of the one stars, it's the train wreck, and say, what, what, why do people think this guy's an idiot? Then you make a determination, is the book really bad or is the person reviewing an idiot? Yeah. So it's really just the quantity of stars. The interesting thing is I don't ask, I never have, and I never will ask people to give me a certain rating. I say, it's give me the truth. Yeah. But the fact that you're asking people and you're asking integrally, often they slant to giving you a higher review. So Profit First, I think, has a, a nice amount of reviews simply because I'm asking people to share the truth and they naturally uh, want to give it a higher star rating. But, but the goal isn't the stars again, it's just the quantity. You see 5,000 reviews and you're like, oh, clearly this book has been read a lot. It's an instant social proof mechanism to say, I should get it because look at how many people are reviewing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, and I appreciate you walking us through that. And that's amazing that you get uh, email every 15 minutes. And that's because you put your email literally in every book. Every so, book. So tell me about how did that strategy come about? How is, I mean, is that part of a bigger strategy to bring business into the back end, build relationships? Tell me about, you know, the, the idea of why do you put your email in the books? You know, as a friend of mine, her name's Christina Harbridge. And we were meeting maybe 10 years ago in a uh, mastermind group, a peer group. We were just sharing tips and ideas with each other, each other. And I was talking about authors and I said, a lot of readers hold their, an author on a pedestal. They, you know, I have a favorite Malcolm Gladwell or someone who is my personal favorite. And uh, she said, why don't you be the first author that holds the reader on a pedestal? And I was like, oh, that is a cool idea. That's, that feels naturally appropriate to me. So what I want to do is recognize my readers. I, I appreciate recognition. I want to give recognition to them. So in every one of my books, I say, hey, if you're doing this, commit to me. How I respond to those emails, and I will uh, read through those tonight. I actually, I get so many now. I have an assistant who her job is read all my emails and give me a summary. So I'll read the summary pack tonight. And uh, I respond to them. And the response is holding them on a pedestal. I'm proud of you that you're doing the system. I'm wishing you entrepreneurial success. The, the world needs entrepreneurial success. Go for it. So I hold them up. No, I don't think many authors do that. And it starts building this rapport. People feel connected. When people feel connected, they trust you more. They want to experience you more and they buy more books. I, I can't speak to other authors and how many people, how deep people go in their, their books. 
Um, but for me, it seems like I have quite a few readers that once they have this connection, they're like, I want to read your entire library of books. And, and that's a big deal. You know, I have one customer not buying one book. I have one customer buying seven books. That's seven times the revenue for me and hopefully more than seven times the impact for them. How, that's awesome that you, you go so far and it, it also shows in the book and in your writing because like the, I, I, it's probably the business book I know of that has the most stories about the people you've actually helped within that book, uh, which is it's one thing that first? Uh, yeah, specifically profit first is just yeah. littered, litter, like litter, I don't know, littered is maybe not the right word, but there's literally stories throughout the yeah. book about all of the different people who have implemented the profit first system. Um, and I'm going to be one of them now as I'm sort of growing my own business. I've, I, this week, it's on my, my list to set up the, the income, the profit, the owners, comp, uh, the tax, and, uh, tax, OPEX, and then the permanent nice, tax. Alex. And That's profit. awesome, bro. Yeah. So I'm, awesome. You might've saved my business because I was about to head into that territory where you just like, you know, like, all right, I just put, let me just put that money back into my business to grow instead of actually, you know, taking the profit out first, because yeah, like yeah, you say, yeah. it's, it's that uh, scarcity mindset that makes you very, it makes you entrepreneurial and it makes you creative when you don't have, right. you can't just throw money at things. They say there's that saying necessity is the mother of invention. There right. was a study um, done by a guy, his name was Northcote Parkinson. So this is from the 1950s. He's studying um, human behavior around resources. And most of his research was around time, but he noticed that the more time we had available to do something, the longer it took. So back in university, you know, you're, you got an exam that's three months out, who's studying for that? No one. When it's yeah. three days out, now the panic ensues. When it's three hours out, it's cram time, you know? As we get closer to the deadline, we move more efficiently in serving what's needed for that deadline. Yeah. Well, I found this is true not just for time, it's true for all resources the less money we have, the more efficient we become at using it because there's less dollars to go around. When we start having more money, we use it more flippantly. Like, ah, well, let's just try uh, those Facebook ads or whatever. Let's just do it. Let's see. But when you have no money, you can't afford to do that. You have to become very innovative. How am I going to get people to discover me without using money? And you find some novel ways of doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I, you, you literally probably just changed my business and I'll, I'll definitely keep you posted awesome. on it. So uh, next question here for you is, was there any time as an author that you wanted to quit? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, right the day before the launch is the worst day. So it was actually two days ago. I, I launched Get Different literally yesterday you know, from this recording. Yeah. The day before that, I'm like, I'm a scumbag. I am useless. And I always go through the same arc. Like I'm, I'm done. It, it's interesting. And maybe this is true for all of us is uh, we, 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 we put so much work into something and you're putting so much into it that we start to lose faith in it. We, we're so clouded by doing that we don't even see what we're doing anymore. So when writing a book, when I come up with a new idea, I get excited. When I came up with the idea for Get Different, I was like, oh my gosh, I got this. This is gold. I'm writing and I'm writing and then I'm like, oh, this is, this is horrible. Like who's going to read this crap? And then finally, I can't, I just can't write anymore. This is everything I got and I put it out there. It's like the athlete who comes off the field and is just exhausted and crumbles down on the ground. You can't watch the game anymore. And uh, that's how I feel. So I don't earnestly want to give up authorship ever, but those are moments like I suck. I need to start over again. There's no question though, in the very beginning stages of being an author, I didn't own the title. When I released the toilet paper entrepreneur I, and people said, what do you do for a living? I'm like, Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I wrote a book. I, it was secondary to me. And I did that for a year or two. When I came out with my second book, The Pumpkin Plan, that I had that epiphany, like 
either I got to own this title or not. If I'm going to really make a living at this and have a great impact like I want to, I have to be an all-in author. And there was a day I said, today I'm an author and I'm nothing else. When people ask me, what do you do for a living? I say, oh, I'm a, I'm a business author. I'm just an author. And they think, oh, is that it? And I'm like, yeah, I own some businesses, but I'm a business author. I totally flipped the script. And what's so fascinating is I'm traveling for speaking or something and I hop in an Uber and you get a dialogue going with the driver. Sometimes you're like, oh, what do you do? And you say, I'm an entrepreneur. I go, oh, that's cool. And you know, blah, blah, blah. When I say I'm an author, people are like, what? You're, <laughs> I've never had an author in the car. This is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's funny, the change of perception when you really own who you truly are. It's, it's kind of crazy. My mom boards flights for American Airlines and I literally got a call last week because she knows that I work with authors. And she was like, Alex, I had this author, this person who came up to me, I was checking him in on his flight and he was an author. And it's like, have you heard of this? And she was so excited. So yeah, that name. Isn't that funny? Because I think it, like everyone wants to write a book, but like I think such a small percentage of people actually do write that book. So we just, we hold authors up in our heads. It's just, you know, these, these. Yeah, and, and there is a difference between an author and someone who wrote a book. My first book, I was someone who wrote a book. Yeah. Someone who writes a book is someone who just takes thoughts and puts in text and then binds it and tries to sell it. An author is someone who becomes a messenger, a curator of ideas, someone that is delivering a history of notes and ideas. And I'm talking really from the nonfiction space at this point. I, I, I'm friendly with uh, James Clear. He wrote Atomic Habits. Uh, he, he and I got together with some other guys last year. And he's the epitome of the author. He did years and years of research of what people needed to fundamentally shift our behavior to the outcomes we want. So subsequently making atomic habits. He was a curator. He isn't a guy who just wrote a book. He compiled research. He took all these ideas, countless effort put into it, and then sold it to us for 20 bucks. For 20 bucks, you have a download of this extraordinary knowledge consolidated so it's consumable and digestible. That's what an author is. And that's what I hope to do with my entrepreneurial books is, is not just put sh stuff on paper and try to sell it, to, to get to the essence of what's effective, to really boil it down so someone doesn't have to spend thousands of hours figuring this out. That's my job. Uh, I, I want to give it so they can digest it in six hours and be implemented. Everyone says, like, what's the best marketing tool for a book is yeah. to write a good book. And I think- Yeah, 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 right. No is, right, and, and I think you just gave us the blueprint is it's don't think of yourself as just a writer. It's, you know, an author is someone who is curating, you know, a, a vast amount of knowledge and research down into, you know, something that's uh, actionable the essence. and really changes. Yeah. You know, within you know, 120 pages or so. There's, um, there's an interesting phenomenon that some people that write books, they're trying to use it as a glorified business card. Like, you know, I, I wrote a book and I'm going to plop it down and someone's going to read this and I want to do business with me. And I don't want to give everything away because if I give everything away, why would they want to do business with me? Yeah. I found that that's a flawed perception. I believe as an author, our job is to put every ounce of knowledge, our entire soul, everything we know in this to serve the client, the reader as best as possible. And there's two types of readers. 99% of readers are the DIYers, the do, do it yourself. Yeah, DIY, do it yourselfers. They're going to read your book and they're going to implement it. But if you've given every ounce of your knowledge and it effectuates change for them positively, they will be your marketers. They will tell everyone about it. Like I read this book, get different. It changed everything for me. I read Profit First, it changed everything for me. Those 10 or so folks that told you about Profit First probably all did it themselves. They read it and said, holy crap, this works. That's my marketing force now. 
yeah. 1% are the people who want to find the authority. They read the book and say, this is it. This is what I wanted, but I don't want to do it. Let me hire this guy. So write for right to give it all away. And the people who don't want to do it will hire you because you gave it all away. The people who do want to do it will tell everyone else about it because you did give it away. I, I, you've just summed it up so beautifully. Yeah. The people who do actually take that information and implement it are the ones who become your marketing force. Marketing the people force, who yeah. don't implement it become your customers. Like yep. it's, it's incredible. Is that, I mean, would you say that, you know, the, the writing of your books is a big portion of the marketing for your, your entire business? Y yes. Yes. Like I consider it reputation marketing, meaning if I write books that people see as impactful and extraordinary and worthy to share with other people's, that's the reputation. And I aspire to have a reputation that people feel my books are something they should adamantly share. I absolutely desire to have that, but I don't consider that throttleable. I can't, I can't say, Hey, tomorrow, Hey, everyone that's read my books. Could you tell another 10,000 people? I really want to move my books more. It naturally builds momentum. I also think there's a component where I can deliberately market and encourage people to buy books, uh, to, to build a momentum. So, they may be the, the, the flame, but I can throw fuel on that. So I do deliberate marketing, throttleable, I call it throttle marketing, where I can get the word out and push things hard. So when I do this, launch this book, I'll just put a book out there and say, I hope everyone reads this. I start putting fuel on this as quickly as possible. I reach out to uh, prospects. I've, I spoke to in the past. I run um, advertisements. I, I don't necessarily do paid advertisements. I haven't found them to be effective when it comes to book sales. I do uh, a big article came out of Ford's about the book. That's a form of advertisement. It was a whole article dedicated to the book. And that was a big, and, and I, I, I build relationships over time and stuff so I can facilitate those opportunities. Appear on podcasts, like what we're doing now is a little bit more exposure. And cumulatively, during this launch, I think I appeared on 60 or so podcasts. And uh, they collectively start causing that, that sensation of I'm hearing your voice now everywhere, or I'm reading about you everywhere. I got to get this thing. So that form of marketing, I think, is, I think it's um, ignored too often. I think we just assume that our customers are going to carry us alone, and they will. You do an extraordinary book, but you can, can speed that up a lot by deliberately marketing. I was going to say, so what are you doing differently for Get Different, for the marketing? You know, seven books later, uh, or six books later, for yeah. uh, seven books later from Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, what are, you, what are you doing differently this time based on what you've learned on the previous six books? So, you know, what I did is over the last books, I, I boiled down the essence of what moves books. And so I've, we have these intricate spreadsheets here. We've done literally of a hundred different kind of promotional things. And I'll tell you the, the few things that move a lot of books. This is the 80, 20 rule, the 20% yeah. things to do that will move the mass, mass majority of your books. Pareto's principle. Or Pareto's whatever, principle. Yeah, it's Pareto's yeah. principle. The first thing is you got to build a list that you have rapport with. You got to have, an email list that you're constantly curating and collecting. So I have, I'm capturing emails all the time and I'm having dialogue with these customers. Uh, there's a reason I respond, engage with customers because they've given me permission to do that. The number one thing is, you know, when you can wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm sending out an email right now to 30,000 people or 10,000 people, whatever it is. And you know, within a minute, you're going to start getting transactions. There, you, you can't touch it. There's no other form of marketing that can touch that. Like within, this, within a minute, you can start making money if you have matured your, your subscribers that way. That's the number one source. The number two source is 
uh, established influencers, influencers that have access to a community, particularly right now is podcasts. So there's a, a thing called EO on fire, entrepreneur on fire. It's a big popular podcast. It has millions of downloads. Um, the host of that, John Lee Dumas, and I have uh, built a friendship over the years. And I called him up and said, hey, John, can I hear your podcast? He's like, absolutely. I appear and uh, that will move hundreds of books immediately too. Podcasts have an immediate impact and a long tail as people listen to historical uh, issues. Um, another one is to do bonus campaigns. So like I'm writing this book and I, I tell people, hey, as I'm writing Get Different, do you want insider access to how I'm writing this? Um, if you commit to buying some books, that will be the currency exchange. You buy books and uh, I'll give you insider access to stuff. So bonuses insider access is a big deal. Um, I think the fourth thing would be a street team. We had 98 people who said, I commit to moving anywhere between 20 and 100 books. They said, I I'll move 20 books. I'll get other people to buy it. And if I don't, I'll buy them myself. I said, in exchange, we're having a big ass party here for you. We call them the go-getters this year, but it's a street team. It's, it's your most fervent fans uh, engaging them in the promotion. And then perhaps the last thing is um, launch day excitement. If I can get a lot of unique things happening around a book, it gets people excited. So yesterday when we launched, it wasn't just announcing an email. It was sending out that crazy video of me dancing around, um, very humbling video um, if you saw it. It was those elements mixed all together. And so now you're kind of getting hit from it and it leaves a mark. There's a period of time that people are going to say, oh, that yeah, get different thing. And it will wane over time within a few days or a few weeks. People will forget about it. But if I can hit them quickly enough, they may be motivated to buy then or within the next week. If they hear it just one more time, they'll say, oh, yeah, that was the bald spot butt cheek video. I got it. I just got to <laughs> get it. I got to get this. So that's probably the fifth thing is a quick multi-prong approach to marketing. Yeah, build an email list, establish, uh, establish influencers. We got bonus campaigns, launch team, which you had 98 people, and then get people excited through, uh, through different promotions. Final question here, or final two questions here is, why traditional publishing? You had, you know, you've got enough platform now where you can totally own all the royalties. I think maybe the publisher you're working with might give you all the royalties, but like, how do you, yeah, how did you uh, decide to go with Penguin Books for your seventh book? Yeah, I, I, this last go around, I had the most, deep financial analysis of this I've ever had. I would argue that traditional publishing is right in today's standard is actually the most difficult deal to get. So if you write a book, getting a traditional publishing deal today is way harder than it was for me 15 years ago, way harder. But the value also is way lower, which is weird. It's hard to get a deal, but I don't know if you want a deal in the first place. Yeah. I ran the numbers. And when you are a traditional publisher with a traditional publisher, you net $3.50, maybe $4 a book. So the three major platforms are print, audio, electronic, you know, Kindle. And um, maybe the author guy gets $4 per book sold. And these books sell for $25. I'm getting very little. If you self-publish, you can get more than double that. So you can get $8, maybe upwards of $10 per book. So now it starts becoming, wow, I have to sell less than half the books to make the same amount of money. And if I sell the exact same amount of books, I double my income. You know, that, that's, a, that's a big number. So the only way to offset that is through an advance. You know, what traditional publishers offer you is, is as available now. They offer distribution. You can, they can get you in bookstores and so forth. You know what? If you self-publish, you have access to that. They do uh, international distribution. 
guess what? If you're on Kindle, you're international tomorrow morning. In audio, you're international. They do some international contracts. If your book is successful enough as a self-pub and my toy paper entrepreneur was, you'll get international deals on your own and it's easy to negotiate. Just hire a lawyer and it's easy to do. And um, the, the traditional publisher, really the only two things that remain are the ego. I can say I'm with Penguin Books. I'll tell you, readers don't care. No one knows what, who I'm with. So it can satisfy your ego if that matters. I don't really care anymore. I did at one point. I'm like, oh, I'm with Penguin. Now I'm like, I don't once care. Once you did it once, it's like, okay, I, I can yeah, it's like whatever. And, and, and the consumer doesn't care. No one's like, oh, is this a Penguin book? Then I'll read it. They don't care. But the second thing is the advance. And that's the last big thing. A traditional publisher will give you money prior to printing the book. They'll make a bet on you. Having a lot of money today uh, can be better than hopefully making a lot of money in the years or decade to come. Yeah. And there is a number. It could, and everyone has their own number. Maybe it's a few thousand dollars. Maybe it's hundreds of thousands. Maybe if you're a Malcolm Gladwell or someone like that, or JK Rowling, maybe it's a, a million or millions of dollars, but there's a number. And so I called my publisher and said, this is my number. And if, if you can't match it, I understand. I can't justify being with a, a traditional publisher anymore. And I'm going to self pub. And they said, we'll take the deal. And they gave me enough money up front that it didn't make sense for me to not do it with a traditional publisher. It's weird. That argument wouldn't have been 15 years ago. There was so much more value in distribution and uh, access to edit the editorial team and so forth. Most of that stuff is washed away. So to me, in my final analysis, it's does the advance make it worth it? It's, it's, it's sad, but that's, that's the truth that I've come to, that conclusion I've come to. Yeah. And then you can throw that advance back into the marketing of the book, right? Like uh, you can, you can even, yeah, but I, I don't further. Yeah, you can. I don't well, believe you need that. to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't believe if, if I believe that if you need to spend money to marketing that you're, that's the fine for not doing extraordinary marketing. Yeah. I believe we can market with at no cost. You know, my street team, those people paid me to market for me and they didn't pay me, but they committed to moving books. There's a currency exchange. This is not monetary. I'm giving them education, insight, access to things that they wouldn't get access to. Yeah. And all the marketing I looked at um, cost very little. You know, the video, we had to hire the camera guy. I'm not going to say, hey, you got to do this for free. But it was a homemade video that's got more downloads loads than a lot of these uh, authors that do these very professional kind of really kind of like movie trailers. We did it for, for, <laughs> for very little, and it's been far more successful. So I think we got to think outside the box. I think the advance can be used to support your business, your lifestyle. I think that's what it's intended for. Just like it would be when you take in royalties from your book over time. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. The last question that I want to talk uh, just for a, a quick second about get different, what my favorite part is. And I'd love to hear honestly what your favorite chapter is as well. But last question is what can you tell authors to avoid right now? I've been told I need to do all these things for marketing my book. What can you tell them? Cross it off your list. It's not worth your time. I hate to say this, but uh, television appearances, big waste of time. Uh, they don't move books. Yeah. And so I, you know, I know authors like, oh, I'm trying to get on like, you know, Today big show, news channel. Right? Yeah. And when I get up here on that news channel, I'm going to move tons of books. I've been on all the news channels. I, I've been on entrepreneurial TV shows. I actually had filmed my own pilots for TV shows. I didn't go. But all those appearances didn't move any books. And they have millions of viewers. But why doesn't it move any books? Well, because they're constantly being pitched with books. Next time you watch the news, you'll see, Oh, here's the terrorist expert and wrote the book so-and-so. Did you buy a book? Probably not because no one does. Yeah. The one value of being on a TV appearance as an expert 
is the credibility it offers you. Capture that clip. And then when people come to your website, you can say, as you know, was on famous news channel, and here's a little clip of me. It's the credibility. It yeah. brings credibility. It does not move books. Sadly, I see authors going, oh, if I get on TV, I'm there. I gotta sell millions of books. You won't. Yeah, you know, maybe Oprah could do that for you. Maybe the Today Show could move a couple hundred books, but you won't. Do a few appearances for credibility, but invest your time in what does move books, influencers, your own list, those promotional things we talked about. Yeah, well, thank you for giving us a very realistic look into what real book marketing looks like. And I do want to talk about Get Different. My favorite part so far is the story about uh, the painting company that literally oh. <laughs> painted a baby. But, and it's such a great essence because I can really relate to that as a business owner because a, you know, a lot of business owners do have that skeleton in their closet of something that went wrong and they overcame it. And in the overcoming it, they made it right. And they more than made it right. And that oftentimes can be a great marketing asset, but they, they don't necessarily like... I know the, the painting company turned around and made it right, you know, with, with the people. So, you know, what is your favorite part of the book and, and where can people, is Amazon the best place to get it? My favorite part of the book. Yeah. I love the pain and baby story. I think my, and it's ironic, Matt, the, uh, the entrepreneur, Matt Schaup, who experienced that was literally just texting me a few hours ago. He's traveling and uh, people are calling about him to, to him. Cause I started reading the book, the audio and are reading about the painted baby story. My favorite part of the book is probably the rallying cry, which is right in the beginning. I've concluded that marketing is the ultimate act of kindness. You know, so many of us are afraid to market because we don't want to bother the prospect. We don't want to be intrusive. But if what you offer, if your podcast is better than the alternative podcasts, but people don't know about your podcast, the, the customer is going to go elsewhere and they're going to be, it's going to be a disservice to them. So we have a responsibility to market. If my product, my books are better, I believe, than some of my competitions, I have a responsibility to get the word out there. Because if my prospects don't discover my books, but they discover something of lesser value, it's their fault, but that's my problem. So we have a responsibility to market. And if we're better, it's an act of kindness. Put the best things you can in front of your customers. Now, I'm not saying to manipulate or strong arm your customers. No, not that. Simply make them aware of it so they can make an educated decision. We need to market. That's my favorite part because we have to. Mike Michalowicz, uh, recently out with Get Different. Make sure you pick up your copy. Is Amazon the best place for people to get that book? Yeah, you know what? Actually, I'll give you a better place. Go to gogetdifferent.com. You know, the, Amazon's one of the retailers. You can go there. But if you go to gogetdifferent.com, of details in the book, some free resources. But my favorite resource there is I have all these strategies to start marketing immediately. It's a free download. I think it's 100 strategies that cost nothing or very little. And you can start to distinguish yourself in your marketing. And uh, you can get started without even reading the book. Mike, Nailed it's it. been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate your time. Alex, thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen in. I know this is just one of the hundred ways you could have spent this time. If it met the goal from the beginning of the episode or didn't, please leave me a review so I can continue to improve the show. Reviews also help us to bring on bigger and bigger authors and entrepreneurs with even better book marketing blueprints to share with us. That's all I have. Until next time.